right, well, I said this is week four of our Simon Peter series, and something that I am personally really enjoying about the series is how much we are learning actually about Jesus through the life of his flawed yet faithful disciple. And hey, if, if you've missed a couple of weeks or you've missed a week here and there, listen, I'm going to I'm going to meet you where you're at. We have covered a lot of ground together. And so back in week one, we had Peter's initial call to follow Jesus. And then we had uh, Peter's experience with walking on the water and how that changed him forever. And then last week, last week, week three, uh, for the first time, Peter declared that Jesus was the true son of God. It was not Augustus Caesar. It was not Pan. It was not anything else. So Peter declares this, and Jesus responds by affirming Peter and giving Peter a new role as Peter is given authority to interpret Scripture. Remember that whole binding and loosening thing? And something unique. Jesus essentially tells Peter, we're going to start something called an ecclesia, a church, which is no doubt exciting even though not everything Jesus says makes sense to these men, they understand there's a new kingdom at hand and they are going to help build it and they are going to be the leaders of it. And that is not bad at all. Until, if you remember from last week, Jesus tells them some difficult truth about this new kingdom. Hey guys, sorry, we're actually not going to overthrow a government. I know, I know, you were really looking forward to it. Sorry guys, that's not what we're doing. We're not going to drive the Romans out, but this kingdom will actually be born on the back of suffering, our suffering. Jesus tells these men how they will be harassed, how he will be arrested, and how he will ultimately be killed. And does anyone remember Peter's response to this? Because I think it's very human and it's very like us. What, I think we would all respond the way Peter did. This will not happen. And then Jesus utters those four famous words that some of us are like, dang, Jesus, that's kind of savage. He, he says these four words to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. And then we talked about what Jesus meant by that, the phrasing of it, the history of it. And so if you missed that, you just need to go back and listen to it. But I highlight all these weeks, especially last week for you today, because our next story of Peter took place six days later after what I just told you. This next story is six days later, almost like a Sunday to Sunday here. So if last week we were in Matthew 16, then that could only mean this week we are in Matthew 17. It's okay. I'll forgive you. Got a couple of trolls over here, but I'll forgive you. Matthew 17. Yes, that's where we're at, so you can turn there. And as you turn in your Bibles or open your apps to Matthew 17, here is our series reminder for you. Remember, why Simon Peter, why take time to follow his life and interactions with Jesus? It's because, and here's the big idea, the life of Simon Peter proves that while we may fail, fall, doubt, embarrass ourselves and turn our back on our friends, we can still be restored and remain a faithful follower to the way of Jesus. Peter is like you and I. You and I are like Peter. You are flawed. 
yet the potential purposes you have in Christ are unimaginable. And that is our inspiration for this series. And I certainly pray that you walk out of here each week with that encouragement. Now, let's go again, Matthew 17. We're going to start in verse 1. Let's go through the story together. The Bible says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. In case you forgot, Jesus has 12 well-known disciples, but even within the 12, he had an inner circle. And we talked about them last week. Uh, Peter, the rock, and then we have James and John. They are the sons of thunder. Jesus had called these three men to join him on the same day, and he had given them three really cool nicknames. And these three men were Jesus' closest friends. But this isn't the first time Jesus did something special with these three men. This is actually the second time he's done it. You don't have to flip there, but in Mark chapter 5, it records the first time where Jesus, he raises a young girl back to life, and the only people present are the young girl's parents and Peter and James and John. Those are the only ones who are allowed in the room. And so there is a special bond among these friends. And now Jesus takes those three up on a mountain, that's Mount Tabor, and it's located near Capernaum. Look at verse 2 and 3. And he, this is Jesus, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. There, this, is, this is hugely significant. So if you don't know this, in Jewish tradition, Moses and Elijah represented two aspects of life. Moses represented the law, and Elijah represented prophecy. And these are, are huge in Jewish tradition. And so this is uh, implied from Malachi chapter 4, verses 4, 5, and 6. You can look that up yourself. So if Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents prophecy. Here we have the transfiguration of Jesus. And this is the fulfillment. This is what it represents. It represents the fulfillment of the law and prophecy in Jesus' divinity. This symbolism is really, really beautiful, what, what is happening here. And so in this way, what's called the transfiguration, it's demonstrated the, the fulfillment of both law and prophecy um, but not only did Jesus, his physical appearance change to reflect his divine nature, but the presence of Moses and Elijah confirms this is the Son of God. Verse 4, we're moving right through this story, okay? Verse 4, and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. Pause. Awesome response, Peter. Man, like, like this is a great response. He is perfect right here in this response. He's faithful in this response. Peter gets it. He's soaking in the moment. He's taking it all in. He's appreciating this as he should. I really hope Peter doesn't do or say anything strange or off the wall next. Let's find out. Peter continues, if you wish... I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I don't mean to sound incredulous, 
But when I see something incredible, my default is not, I should build tents. I mean, let's, let's be honest. If you were watching this event unfold, or if you have ever witnessed anything amazing happen in your life, have you maybe ever responded in a really weird way too? Ah, the birth of my firstborn. Let me build him a tent. Okay, maybe, maybe you didn't do that, but maybe you passed out, right? Uh, I don't know. Have you ever responded in a really weird way, in a really unexpected way? Or, or have you ever seen someone respond to something beautiful really weird? Like there's a surprise proposal, and maybe, maybe she passes out. Maybe she cries. Maybe she's mad because, you know, my hair's not done. How could you do this right now? You know, they respond in a weird way. Peter is responding in a weird way. Now, I don't want to hate on his response too much. Number one, because there's more to wanting to build tents than what's on the surface. We'll talk about that in a second. But number two, I will meet Peter one day, and I don't want him to bring up that sermon, September 17th, 2023, when you misrepresented my intents, okay? I don't want to meet Peter and him come for my throat. So the question is, why did Peter want to do this? Why build three tents, okay? Think about this for a moment. This incredible event is taking place. It's happening in front of him. And Peter sees two of the towering figures within Judaism. And they are talking to his friend, his rabbi, Jesus. And this is just days later when, when, when Peter said, Jesus, you are the son of God. Like, like Peter's all in, okay? So Peter, he wants to remain exactly where he is. Peter wants to remain on this mountainside with Jesus, with Moses, and with Elijah, but there's a problem, and you won't find it in Matthew's gospel account, but you will find it in Mark's gospel account. I have it for you right here. There's a slight problem, and Mark has some insight to it. Go to Mark 9, verse 6. You'll see it on the screen. It says, He did not know what to say, for they were all terrified. Okay, so think about it for a moment. In this moment, that means Peter's words were not motivated by honor and respect. Let me build for you three tents. His primary motivation for doing this was fear. He's letting his fear do the talking. Peter wanted to build tents, but it's not because he actually understood the significance of what is happening, what's in front of him, but it was his fear and look what happens next. Peter is about to be even more relatable to some of us. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, no, I didn't want to build a tent when I got married. You know, I didn't want to build a tent when my kid was born. I didn't want to do that weird thing. Don't worry. You are about to become very relatable to Peter. Verse 5. He was still speaking. Put a pin in that. We'll come back to that. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Pause there. Has that ever happened to you? No, okay, not the cloud thing. I'm not talking about that. And maybe it has. We'll talk about that later. But what Peter is doing, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been so nervous or so afraid that you just keep talking and talking and talking 
because you, you, are, you are so averse to the silence, so you just keep talking and talking and talking to the point you are not only interrupted, you are interrupted by God himself. That is how much you're messing this thing up. Hey, you're missing it, Peter. Shh, listen. I think some of us can relate to Peter because you get nervous and you don't stop talking. It's how, it happens to me too, I'm not pointing fingers, okay? If you point a finger, you got three pointing back at you, okay? I get it, all right? It happens to me, but you just keep talking and talking and talking and talking. The word vomit just continues and it's just going and going and going. Peter, he is scared. He's talking about building tents. What, Peter, what are you talking about? He's going on and on and on. God interrupts him and jokes aside, he says, this is my beloved son whom I love. This is my son who I am content with. Listen to him. Uh, going ahead to verse six. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces. They were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And I really think someone here today needs to hear this. You can, turn it, you can tune out the rest of the sermon if, if you want, I don't care. But you need a loud voice in this moment to lovingly tell you, stop talking so much. Stop, by that I mean stop overthinking this. Stop filling the void with nonsense. Look to Jesus, listen to Jesus, seek Jesus. I know you're confused. You have questions about faith and church and what you're supposed to do. Look to Jesus first. And what is Jesus' response? What is his response? His response is very simple. Get up. Don't be afraid. Get up. Have no fear. Now let's, let's finish this story outright. Verse nine. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the son of man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So, so one quick practical thing you may not know, but is hugely important. This, this story, again, it's, it's simply referred to as the transfiguration. And it is easy to read this and not fully understand the purpose. Okay, well, here's this purpose for you. If, if you're a note taker uh, or, or if you're really into this story, then this is for you. You'll see this on the screen. The transfiguration affirms Jesus' identity and mission from God. It was a definitive statement that Jesus is the Son of God who came to bring salvation to mankind and to fulfill the prophecies found in the Old Testament. That's it. That's the, that's the purpose. That's the story. That is our text today. But if I could quickly pull three lessons from this story, from, of course, Peter in particular, 
and Peter's involvement, I want us to ask the question right now. So what can I learn from this? In light of our flawed yet faithful Simon Peter, what can I learn? Well, here's the first thing. Lesson number one, if you will. Lesson one, here it is. Before God will do something new, you have to let go of what was. Think back to verse four, or if you have your Bible in front of you, you can look at verse four. Peter's reaction to seeing this event is to build those tents, right? But the problem is that God was taking this moment, this holy, foundational, and inaugural moment to show that Moses and Elijah had come before, and now, okay, they come before, and now this is all about Jesus. That is, that is what is happening in this awesome, amazing moment. But instead of taking that in, instead of, of witnessing something absolutely miraculous and allowing this moment to happen, instead of appreciating the new thing that God is doing right in front of you, Peter, Peter, you insert your own thoughts on the matter. You insert your own desires to preserve what you think is most important. Again, just the plain reading of the text here would indicate that Peter seems to want to honor all three of these men. But the details that Mark gives us actually shed light that that's not really everything that's happening here because God has to interrupt him. He's so fearful and he's nervous and he's just talking and, and, and going on and on and on because he's afraid. And I think some of us today are holding tightly to how things used to be, how things used to be in life, how things used to be in, in, your, in your journey with Christ, how things used to be, because we want to honor the past. We want to honor history and tradition, whatever it is, we want to honor it and we don't want to see it get replaced. But I think if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we're not motivated by honor so much as we don't like change. And we're afraid of the new thing God is doing. And, and some of us, we, we don't want change, but we're letting the fear do the talking. That is the fear holding on to you. In this moment, Peter is afraid because he didn't know what else to do, so he wants to hold on to what he knows. I know Moses, I know Elijah. But God is doing something new here in this story. He's doing something new here and now, and yet we think we can erroneously and equally hold on to the past and the present. We want to have it both ways. Peter wants all three to stay put and to move forward. But that is not God's plan. That is not Jesus' purpose. Because for Jesus to step forward and his purposes to come to fruition, the old must step aside. Moses, what you did was great. And it's been fulfilled. Elijah, you accomplished Incredible things. Well done. But beyond this moment, do Moses and Elijah have any presence in the ministry of Jesus? No. Because this is now the fulfillment of what was, and this is the inauguration of what is. 
And, and I get it. We want to see God move powerfully in our lives. I mean, who doesn't want that? But who does God want to use? You. Me. Us. He wants to use us. And so if you are still holding on to how things used to be, how could you possibly be used here and now? Peter does not, and this is just my impression, I don't think Peter has ill intent in this moment wanting to hold these three men together in this moment, the past and the present and the future, but that's just not the purpose of the moment. Peter is simply misinterpreting what is happening in front of him. And don't we do this as well? I think we misinterpret things pretty easily too. And in this case, I think we hold on to how things used to be. And while those are nice memories, memories are not vision. Memories do not breathe life into what is here and now. And if you are still holding on to how things were yesterday, your arms are not free to embrace what God wants to give you today. Before God will do something new, you have to let go of what was. I, I hear people talk often about like how they want to see revival take hold and, and take root, and I completely agree. I, I want to see that. But I think we can sometimes get caught up in the good old days way of thinking, where we did it this way before, let's just do it again. But revival doesn't take place when memories are the center. Revival takes place when the Spirit of God moves and blesses a new work. If Rock Vineyard is going to move forward, then we need more dreams than we have of memories. It's barely been three years. Can you believe that? So it's not like we're relying on a lot of memories. But just for you personally, in your, in your faith journey with God, if you're wanting God to move in your life and do something new in your life, we have to stop going to that old well and wishing life was just how it used to be. I miss those days. I miss that because you will miss the very real new thing God wants to give you here and now. Now, I'm not saying, please don't hear this. I am not saying forget what was. Honor the past. Respect what was. We stand on the shoulders of giants, and they deserve that respect and honor. But there is no sense, there is absolutely no sense in wasting time trying to build tents on a mountainside to preserve something that was when Jesus is calling you to follow him down the mountain and get to work building his kingdom. Because you know what? If you think about it, had they let Peter build the tents, think about this for a second. Building tents would look honoring and respectful. Peter could have made it look holy. He could have prayed while he did it. He could have made it look godly. But Peter did not have God's purposes in mind. So let's ask ourselves today, what am I holding on to out of fear? If I'm really honest right now, am I just afraid of change? I want to I honor, I want to hold on to what was. I want to be respectful or, or this is all I know. But what is God doing here and now? Because Jesus has a mission, and we are invited to play a part in it. So are you going to join him, or are you going to get stuck on the side of a mountain building tents for no one except yourself? Because before God will do something new, 
we have to let go of what was. Lesson number two, if that wasn't enough, okay? I got two more for you, okay? Lesson, lesson two. Don't be surprised when God interrupts you. Peter was mid-sentence, and God sent a cloud. That's, that's unreal. Like, think about it for a second, right? Like, you know, where, where we have church, we have the beautiful natural light in here. But imagine the darkness. All of a sudden, if I just was getting this whole thing wrong and, and, the, and the Lord sent a voice, you know, we're going to listen, okay? That's what we're going to do, all right? But imagine that happening. He was mid-sentence, and what happened? He gets interrupted. And I know some of us can talk and talk and talk and talk. And so this would be a borderline miracle if that happened anyway. But I appreciate how this happened. Because when you think about it, Peter is talking and he's just going on and on and on. And he is standing with the sons of thunder. He is facing Moses, the Moses. He's facing Elijah. The Elijah and his friend Jesus. So why didn't the sons of thunder say anything? Why did they let him drone on and on and on? Why did Moses and Elijah kind of pull rank in the moment and say, hey, that's enough? Why didn't Jesus, who has had his fair share of shaking head moments with Peter, why didn't Jesus step forward and say, man, I appreciate you, but I haven't seen these guys in like... I don't know, 30 years? Like, it's been a while since I've seen these guys. Could you stop embarrassing me? Stop embarrassing me in front of my friends, Peter. I, I love how God, I love, I love how God does this, though. Because God, if you will, steps in. It's like God can see Peter missing the moment, just talking and filling the void. And Jesus, again, he could have stepped in, but God wants to do something. And, and the way I see this, okay? I think God wants to establish something here and now in the presence of Peter, James, and John, but also in front of the law, Moses, and in front of prophecy, Elijah. He wants to unite all this Jewish tradition on top of this mountain. God steps in and essentially says, this is all about Jesus. It's all about my son. I endorse his words, his prayers, his teachings, his healing, his ministry. I'm proud of him. I love him. I affirm him. And Peter, you will listen to him. Because there is nothing like the approval and affirmation and love of your dad. God is God. Make no mistake He's the creator of everything, every good and perfect gift, perfectly placed by God himself. And that same God now speaks and says, in my own words, would you be quiet? This is the moment you've been waiting for. He's the promised one. And you're just going to go on and on and on. What are you doing? Listen to him. Church, don't be surprised when God interrupts you to remind you that this thing is all about Jesus. And you can appreciate the law. I think you can appreciate prophecy and theology and all of that. But this thing is all on Jesus. Your questions and doubts about faith, your answers are found in Jesus. 
Your desire to be free from sin, that freedom is found in Jesus. Your new life is not found in the approval of people or settling for a purposeless existence. New life comes through Jesus and God will interrupt you to remind you of that first love over and over and over. Because if you have been a Christian for any length of time, maybe a decade, two, five, I don't know, it's easy to neglect your first love. It is easy. It's easy to replace your, your love for Christ with a love for things that look and sound godly. God will interrupt you to remind you this is about Jesus. And I sincerely pray that this resonates with someone today. Now, I definitely have, I definitely have a, a third one here. And, and it's something that I believe that the Lord was, was speaking to me this week, and, and I think it's going to, to speak to some today, to someone with questions and hurts and pain, anxiety, and, and, and all of that. I think, I think this third one is, is going to resonate with us this morning. Lesson number three, before you can understand, you have to be willing to ask. Before you can understand, you have to be willing to ask. Uh, worship team, would you mind to go ahead and, and, and join me up here? Okay, just stay here as, as we wrap up, okay? Stay here. Before you can understand, you have to be willing to ask. In, in, in verse 10, after all of this takes place, they begin the walk down the mountain, okay? And the Bible says the disciples ask a question because, listen, they had this awesome moment. Have you ever had an awesome spiritual moment you couldn't neatly define, okay? Like maybe, maybe it was as wild as being like laid out on the floor, okay? Maybe it was like the spiritual moment where someone prayed for you and all of a sudden you were sobbing, you didn't know why. Or if, 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 if you were praying and all of a sudden a prayer language came out of you, I don't know. You've had a moment. Stay with me. You, you've, you've had a spiritual moment and you can't make sense of it. These men just saw something incredible and they're trying to make sense of it. They don't have all the answers. So they go down the mountain and they ask a question of Jesus. And it may sound off topic, but they're, but they're right on. Listen, their question. Isn't Elijah supposed to come and prepare the way before you arrive? It's a fair question. Because to them, Elijah never came back and did that. And Jesus actually affirms this truth and he says, you are correct. That is supposed to happen. That is exactly what's supposed to happen. And he did. And now he's gone. And in this moment, it's like it makes sense to the, to the disciples for the first time. Oh, he's right. It was John the Baptist. So here's where this, I think, is going to hit home for some of us. What was the difference between the question and the disciples understanding it? Not the answer. What's the difference in the question and the disciples actually understanding it? The difference was their expectations. They asked a question and they had an assumption in mind. And the answer they were given changed those assumptions, right? Because they were thinking of the literal Elijah. Hey, where is he? And Jesus says, he already came, and you didn't recognize him. 
And some of us are asking ourselves questions that we haven't brought to God because we haven't brought those questions to God. We're anxious, we're confused, we're scared. We don't understand. This isn't how I thought it would go. Of course, of course, that may, of course you're confused. You haven't asked God yet. Because before you can understand, you have to be willing to ask. Because the truth is, you probably have assumptions in your question, and you are still questioning Jesus, you are still skeptical, you are still confused. And some of us will bring our problems to church and we won't bring them to God. We'll bring them to a prayer group and we won't bring them to God. We'll bring them to a small group, but we won't bring them to God. You're, you're asking everyone else except God. Because the moment, the moment you actually do, the moment you actually ask God, is when God resets your expectations. And it's when God completely changes your question with an answer you didn't see coming. And so some of us will have an issue with faith, we'll, we'll have a question about God, church, whatever it is, okay? This is where we're at. And we'll have this issue, we'll have this question, and man, we will talk to other people about it. We will even bring it up at church. We'll take it to the pastor. We will talk about it with our friends. We will go to everyone else. Except in sincere and humble prayer to God. Because I believe the moment we do, he changes our expectations. Our issue is Elijah. Why didn't he come? You're supposed to, this isn't how the equation works. And the moment we bring it to God, God says, you're asking the wrong question. I accomplished that in a different way than you expected. What is the thing that we're holding on to that we will talk and talk and talk about? It's our biggest issue with God, our biggest gripe with him. And we'll talk to everyone else except him about it. I think, I think we need to be willing to ask.